Well, I must admit, I was the oldest person in my class. Or there was one gentleman who was the same age as me. Um, and he finished like right a year behind me. So that was an issue. I mean, I was there with kids who were the age of my own children, uh, of my oldest children. I have twins who are now 27 years old, a uh, boy and a girl. Um, and, you know, they were, uh, they're so similar in age and their priorities are much different. You know, they may sit in the back of the class and play video games. And I, I sit up front every time. Uh, so there was a disconnect. Um, on top of that, you know, and going back to the challenges that I may have faced, I was um, the only African-American male in my class. There were only a few um, females who were African-American. Uh, I think there were five of us in total, but me being the only male. And that was challenging also, too, because you... Wow, you know, and that's... That's out of a class of 160. Yeah, about one, 160 people. I was the only African-American male. So, you know, there was a disconnect with my with my heritage, my upbringing, uh, my age, uh, the fact that I had children, and also that this was a second career for me. Hey guys, Dr. Dale here. Really quick before we start this episode, I want to ask you to support our mission by doing one thing. Just subscribe. Subscribe to our YouTube channel or our podcast channel, whichever one you listen to. Just hit that subscribe button. The way our podcasts get out there is by you guys liking it, by subscribing, and of course by sharing as well. So if you do one of those things for us right now, we really appreciate it. We work very hard to make these episodes for you guys. We work very hard to get them out for you guys and just to try to uplift the entire community. So if you can help us out by doing one of those things, subscribe, share, or like every time. Really appreciate it. Love you guys. How did it feel when you got that medical acceptance letter? Oh man! So I remember this day particularly. I was I was at the shop. It was a long day. We all worked hard. Just my nephew who, who worked for me. He was there, and an employee in the back was finishing up a car. And I was wait, waiting for my MCAT results, and I knew they were coming in this day. So I'm like checking the computer every once in a while. And then I said, I'm not going to check the computer again until we close. Uh, so at 6 p.m., we closed, turned off the lights, and my nephew and I stood there. And I clicked on the button, and my MCAT results popped up. And I, I knew the number that I needed to matriculate into the program that I was in. And when I saw what I got on the MCAT, I screamed and, and jumped for joy. And one of my employees ran up to me. And I said, I am the employee who was in the back came running up to the front and he said, what's going on here? It sounded like somebody hit the lotto. And I said, I just did. And that's what it felt like. I mean, I was, my my nephew and I, we were, he was there celebrating with me and I was just so happy to have the MCAT behind me and to have done well on it. And, you know, to, to know that I was matriculating into medical school and beginning a new life. I love it. So how many years ago now would that have been? <clears throat> Excuse me. Like seven, eight, or eight? Uh, yeah, it would have been seven years ago. I'm uh, curious how, how how did that impact your nephew who was there with you? Uh, well, I know that he's always been happy for me, you know, and he's uh, he's my oldest nephew. Uh, he worked for me for about ten years, and and I know that I had a lot of influences on his life, and and uh, he's always been an upstanding individual, you know, one that I could count on. And uh, he was he was really equally happy for me. And I think that it showed a, a huge impact. I see him now as a father, you know, who uh, takes his kids education very seriously, you know, and takes uh, being a father very seriously. 
so I think just our whole experience of our of us working together for so long, along with other family members who worked for me, you know, it it developed a cohesiveness and, and an understanding. And I think it propelled them towards their own success. I love it. I love it. During your time in med school, any issues, um, unexpected issues, and you know anything that you didn't expect because you've been, you know, you've been going to, to school and such, but it's, it's different from being in school full time during the day and such. How was that transition? Were there any challenges that kind of snuck up on you? Yeah, there was a there was a big challenge. I remember starting off in the in the first two weeks, they would give us they give it an exam uh, on the first two weeks of your material so that you could kind of know the expectations, because I don't care who you are and, and you you could you could likely attest to this, you know, no matter how well you do an undergrad, you know, getting a straight A's or whatever, how intuitive the information is, you get to medical school and you struggle because there is just so much information, uh, almost more information than one human can handle. Uh, so that was a real struggle, just the amount of information that was being thrown at me, uh, the fact that I had to study every night and that weekends weren't for rest and weekends were for catching up on the work that I didn't, you know, maybe um, internalize so much during the week. Uh, so that was a challenge, just getting used to the to the pace, to the workload. Uh, and then that two week test that I took and I thought I did horrible. I'm like, what is this? I'm, I'm going to fail out of medical school if, if this is how I do, but uh, it turns out that my grade was better than average uh, for the entire class of about 160 people. Uh, so once I found that out where I placed, that gave me a little bit more reassurance. And, and from there, you know, I just got kind of, the, kind of used to the workload. As I said, I'm a planner, you know, so when I have a task ahead of me, I sit down, I write out a to-do list, I write out some kind of guide, some kind of outline of how I'm gonna get to the, to the end of this journey. And I kind of did that week by week with medical school with, you know, having focused attention on the task at hand, you know, having a time for studying, a time for my wife and children, a time for physical activity, a time for resting. And I just made sure, you know, that I got into some sort of rhythm and, and, and kept that as well as I could so that I could survive through medical school. And it went really well. You know, I don't, I don't have any battle scars, I don't think, for medical school or going through my third or fourth year uh, clerkships, uh, you know, everything turned out, I feel like for the better. I feel like, like, I, like I'm where I'm supposed to be. How was it? So, you know, when I was a resident, um, I just had one kid um, after my first child was born the first week of my second year as a resident. And it became a lot more challenging for me to do things with my classmates. So, you know, I still got along with them just fine. But I felt socially I wasn't as connected as I as I would have been had I not had, you know, wife and kid and, you know, baby duties and things like that. Do you feel as though, was there a difficulty in that being in the position where you have a family? So socially, do you feel like, did you feel socially distant from your class at all? Did that have any sort of impact on your studying, your, you know, group, forming groups to study, things of that sort? Well, I must admit, I was the oldest person in my class. Or there was one gentleman who was the same age as me, um, and he finished like right a year behind me. So that was an issue. I mean, I was there with kids who were the age of my own children, uh, of my oldest children. I have twins who are now 27 years old, a uh, boy and a girl. And, um, and you know, they were, uh, they're so similar in age and their priorities are much different. 
You know, they may sit in the back of the class and play video games. And I, I sit up front every time. Uh, mm -hmm. So there was a disconnect. Um, on top of that, you know, and going back to the challenges that I may have faced, I was um, the only African-American male in my class. And there were only a few um, females who were African-American. Uh, I think there were five of us in total, but me being the only male. And that was challenging also, too, because you. Wow. You know, and that's that's out of a class of 160. Yeah, about one, 160 people. I was the only African-American male. So, you know, there was a disconnect with my with my heritage, my upbringing, uh, my age, uh, the fact that I had children and also that this was a second career for me. So, yeah, but, you know, I went to a post back program where there were kind of older individuals. They were still much younger than me, uh, but still some people who I could relate to and talk to and kind of knew what I was what I was going through. And they had a few of them had children of their own. Uh, so we were able to to, you know, talk to one another and, and get through the hard times. But, uh, you know, those those were a lot of challenges, uh, just feeling like you were in isolation sometimes. Now, on top of that, I had a long drive. Uh, I lived in Cleveland and my school was in Rootstown and that was about an hour away. So oh, wow. every day I had like a two hour commute back and forth to school. Uh, so that was time that, you know, a lot of my friends and a lot of my classmates uh, spend hanging out or, or doing whatever. But in the same regard, uh, a lot of my classmates said that they envied me because they look. I remember a couple of them said, hey, you know, the only thing we have to look forward to is going back to our dorm and studying. But you get to go home every day to your family and have a totally different life that's far removed from school. And this is kind of all that we have. Uh, so that kind of brought it into perspective, maybe a little bit more appreciative other challenges that I did have, because we all have challenges, you know, we yeah. all have problems, but you have, I felt like my problems were good problems. You know, I, for, to the listeners, I want the listeners, because I'm, I'm really big on Black men and white coasts in general. What we try to make sure we do is we, we let people know that we're about empowering people. So we're not about, um, you know, the complaining, doing things like that. There the are problems out there that we acknowledge, obviously, we've seen our documentary. But at the end of the day, what we want to do is empower people. And I think something that the listeners need to appreciate from what you're saying is, you know, in, in my class, when I started med school, I started off, we had a class of 96, two of us when we started were black men. Um, and I thought I felt really isolated, you know. Um, actually, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad, but there were certain instances where you do feel very isolated, right? Um, so I experienced that. But when I, when I hear what you're saying, you were in so much more of a unique position than maybe anybody I could think of, right? In terms of if somebody had a reason to say they were isolated, I can't imagine anybody who's, who can list as many things out as you just listed, right? Yet you still did very well, yet you didn't use that as an excuse not to perform, right? There's a real challenge with isolation, there's imposterism, those things are real and we acknowledge them and we work to, to help people on it. But at the end of the day, you said, hey, no matter what, I've got to find the way to perform and to execute on my, on, you know, the task at hand so I can achieve my goals, correct? Yeah, and my, my motivation to finish was very high because it wasn't only myself that I would let down if I didn't finish or if I didn't excel. It was going to be my family, my wife and my children who are all expecting me to provide some sort of livelihood and to be a role model. Uh, so I felt that pressure also of having to perform, not just for myself. And many folks, I remember saying, hey, my only responsibility here is to graduate medical school. I don't have to pay any bills. You know, my parents come over and wash my clothes and cook for me. And, 
and all this stuff. And, you know, I found that incredible. And even sometimes they struggled. Sometimes they, they faltered and maybe not finished, um, you know, on time or, or uh, didn't do as well. Uh, but some did. Uh, but the fact is, is that we all have our challenges and you can look at your circumstances and say, you know, this is insurmountable or you can uh, take what you have and just work hard towards it. And I want to I want to share a story really quickly. Uh, my wife gave me some of the best information early on. Uh, I learned how to ski much later on in life. I was probably in my 30s and my wife used to ski all the time. She was a, a giant slalom uh downhill uh, ski racer at one point. And so when I learned to ski, I got a lot better with uh, just keeping up with her. But I remember we went out on a skiing trip. I think we were in Lake Tahoe one time. We were standing on top of the mountain and I'm looking down at the bottom. And I'm still a newbie and I'm like, boy, that sure is a long ways down at the bottom. And she said, Carl, you don't ski the whole mountain at one time. You ski at 10 feet at a time. You choose your next two turns, next two or three turns. You see where you are there. And then you, you do that over and over again. And before you know it, you'll be at the bottom. And I used that advice at that time. And I have constantly reflected on the wisdom of what she gave me there. And I constantly tell myself, you know, when I'm looking at a mound of work, when I'm looking at all of these problems or all of this stuff that needs to be done. And I just say to myself sometimes 10 feet at a time. And uh, I've used that analogy a lot throughout my life. And I can't think, thank my wife, Kim, for it. More, more enough for, for that uh, for that wisdom and that knowledge. I love that. We're definitely going to soundbite that clip right there. <laughs> We're definitely <laughs> taking that as a soundbite. That is amazing. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that, man. That's brilliant. Phenomenal. Um, why emergency medicine? We'll be right back. Hey, my name is Noah Thomas. I'm a current second year medical student at Meharry Medical College. Today, I'm going to be giving you a view of a day in the life of a student on orthopedic surgery clinic and OR rotation with Dimensions. Let's get into it. I like to start my days around 6.30 a.m. Here you see me taking some caffeine, some fish oil, black seed oil, and a little bit of sea moss to kind of keep myself healthy and aware for the rest of the day. I will be gone for the majority of the day, so the last thing you want when you have a mask over your face is for your beard to be in your mouth or your breath to stink. So it's good to always get a good morning routine in. Here you see me taking a few of my supplements, uh, that way I can be nice and ready for the gym. Since I will be gone all day, I always pack a lunch with me, a nice and healthy uh, pre-made lunch. And I always put my white coat on afterwards because I do have a bad habit of spilling things. Now it's off to the clinic. I typically get to the clinic around 7.30 a.m. Even though it doesn't open up until 8, 8.15, I like to get here early. That way I can kind of take a look at a few things, see what type of cases we have for the day. And if I have any research that I have to work on for that day, I can kind of knock it out here early in the morning before everything starts. A typical patient load for me every day is about 40 to 70 patients, depending on the physician I'm with and which clinic I'm working at. After our wonderful nurses have seen the patients, they come and bring us the clipboard and it's time for me to go check the patient out. During these patient encounters, I'll be going and take the uh, current history and the physical exams. I'm blessed enough to be able to be autonomous uh, at this clinic, so for the most part, I'll be going to see these patients by myself and I'll present them to my attending physician on the back end. I like to be really detail-oriented uh, with my notes and with my assessments. That way, when it comes time to present to my attending physician, I can get everything that's pertinent, positive, pertinent, negative, and I have a real clean and smooth presentation to my physician. We typically end our clinic anywhere between 4.30 to 7. It just depends on which clinic I'm at. And then after that, I'll be off to the gym. This time is really important to me because it's the only time I can actually work on my fitness and have something outside of work to do. 
Shortly after the gym concludes, we do have lectures in the evening time. And then in the next morning, it's off to the OR. This is my favorite part of the entire experience. I actually get a chance to throw sutures. Um, I actually get a chance to do some plating, some screws, some retracting first assisting, and a whole bunch of other cool things within the OR. And that's one of my typical days within the Nth Dimensions program. Um, why emergency medicine? You know, had, had I, from hearing the career of, uh, I might be biased because I'm an internist, internal medicine, but from hearing kind of, you know, how detailed you were describing the diagnostician aspects of being a mechanic, I would think that your brain would be wired for deep thought. Not saying that ER doctors, others are doing <laughs> that came across completely wrong. That came across completely wrong. But you know, but you know, interns have that reputation of spending too much time thinking and trying to diagnose. You know, even though actually ER doctors, you have to make quick diagnostics, right? You have to be fast with your diagnostics. But I'm, I'm sticking my foot in my mouth. But basically, why ER? Why why ER? So the ER is uh, is so similar to my automotive shop. You know, I I had the people who came by for their routine maintenance for oil changes or brake changes or, or whatever. But a lot of my calls were, you know, Carl, my car broke down and I called a tow truck and I can't get to work. My kids need to be picked up. I have to go get groceries. My car is going to be there soon. Mm-hmm. You know, can you can you fix it up for me? Or sometimes people just pull up. Hey, my car just started doing this. Can you fix it? So uh, a lot of those things I I. Um, I still employ that I use in the emergency department. You know, when I see people come in uh, to the emergency department and, and you get that doorway look, you see if they're breathing hard, are they in distress? Um, you know, um, how fast do I need to, to jump on this in order to reverse some of the things that are going on? And then the unexpectedness of it. I don't know if you've ever been driving and your car broke down, uh, but it's probably like one of the more stressful times in people's life besides when their health lets them down is when their car lets them down because uh, we our lives revolve around our cars so people would come into my shop just at their wits ends you know sometimes crying uh uncertain they don't know how much it's going to cost how long their car is going to be broken down what it's going to take to fix it um and how do i pay for it uh, so i dealt with all of those dynamics just so often every day and that's very similar to the emergency department. People come in sick. They weren't expecting this. They, they didn't know when they woke up in the morning that they were going to have a heart attack or a stroke or that they were going to you know, get hit by a car or cut a finger off or whatever their, their pathology may be. Uh, it, uh, they just end up in an unfortunate circumstance and they come in at the height of their emotions. And you have to talk them down and, and get to the core of the problem and find that solution. And sometimes you have to do that relatively quickly or sometimes you can say they're stable, they could wait for a while. Uh, so I found myself always doing that in my automotive shop. And the emergency department is just so similar to how the presentation uh, occurs so often. That's fascinating. I can not, now as you describe it, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I've, only, I've had a car issues a few times. Um, stuff for, for me not doing my part. I've had two engines break down on me for a lack of uh, not, not taking care of that oil the way I should have been taking care of the oil. And then I've had um, the, the dumbest thing I've done with my car, uh, you know, whatever. I'm like, you, I don't care what people think anymore. But I was backing out of my, I don't even know how I did it. What did I do here? I was in my garage and I don't, I don't remember what happened. All I know is that's what I did. I was in my garage and I had my door open and I was running out to go, I think, like turn the light off or something in my garage. And I forgot to put the car back in park. So the car, you know, um, I think it was still reversing. So the car starts going backwards. 
right? And then I try to run in there and I can't get in there in time because I would have got squished by the garage door. And then the garage, I have a meeting in my garage and it just essentially broke the door, you know, just completely squished the door off. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was like, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I drive right now Kia's, when it was a Kia's rental, it was a little older car when I had it before. And, you know, they said that that totaled the car. I'm like, that totaled the car? Are you serious? I was getting your car. Well, probably the dumbest thing I've done with my car, leaving the door open while I left the car in reverse um, to get yeah, out. Yeah, those kinds of things happen. You know, mistakes happen. They do. But it's just like you say, though, because then once something like that happens, it just completely ruins your, not even your day, like your month. And, you know, everything just changes for you for the time being until you kind of let let the dust settle. Um. All right, so uh, we're, we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here shortly, but before we do, I want I want to have um, you know, I want to have a little bit of uh, I want to have a little bit of fun. But before I get into the okay, we'll do the we'll do the serious stuff at the end. But I just want to have a little bit of fun. Just random questions I want to ask you, and just kind of carry just quick hitter answers, no thought, just random stuff I'm gonna throw out there. Um, sure. Just because it's fun. Let's um, do it. Start the time. Let's let, let's start with this one. Um, Range Rover or Porsche. Oh, I gotta go with a Porsche. I mean, right. they're lower to the lower to the ground. They could corner a lot better. Uh, you know, you, you the the Range Rover, while it has a lower center of gravity than most SUVs, you still have a chance of rolling that thing. I mean, I could imagine taking the corner pretty fast and feeling some G forces going around a you know going around a short a sharp bend. Uh, I'd much rather a Porsche than a than a Land Rover. All right, let's do this one: Lamborghini or Ferrari. Lamborghini for sure. Oh my God. I'm going to get a Lamborghini one of these days. I almost bought one by mistake. Uh, it was either that or a minivan. I'm glad I brought the minivan home. My wife would have been really upset. <laughs> I love that. I'm going to have a Lamborghini by mistake. Um, so I'm not into my other sports as well. I'm a basketball guy, but I think I got this right. Um, Cleveland Browns, right? Is it Browns? Absolutely. All day long. All right. Cleveland Browns or Cleveland Cavs? Cavaliers. Ooh. I mean, we had LeBron James for a while, and that was a sweet moment for Cleveland. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm a I'm a football guy, you know, so I got to go with the Browns. You know, I, I think they've done a lot for the city. The Cavs had too, but, you know, I just love the Browns. I, I love the idea of that, that physicalness of, uh, of, playing, uh, of playing football. Not that basketball isn't. Physical. I don't want to get any hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cleveland Browns for sure. All right, Kyrie fan, Kyrie Irving fan. Uh used to be. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can I can appreciate why you say that. I, I gotta I can understand that. Um, oh, should I have one more that I thought was good, but I might have forgot it. I should have written it down. Oh goodness, what was it? Oh, well, that's fine. Um, all right. So on, on the more serious note, you've accomplished so many things and had such an interesting journey. Um, what is the one bit of advice you would give to anybody, that, not even somebody who, who's going to medicine, but what's the one bit of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? What would you, what would you say? Uh, I'd go back and tell my 20-year-old self uh, to just try hard for the things that you want to just go after, you know, whatever your desires are. Um, and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Uh, mistakes sometimes are, are just learning opportunities. They're opportunities to get better. Uh, so don't, don't be so afraid of making mistakes and 
getting out there and, and putting it on the line for the things that you love. Uh, that's mostly what I would tell my 20 year old self. I love it. I love it. I love it. Now, one last thing I'm going to ask you to do to me, do for me, I should say, we end all of our podcasts pretty much like this. I'd love for you to say, my name is Dr. Carl Allenby, and I am a black man in a white coat. Yes, absolutely. And I'm going to start that by saying that this is the last official day of my residency. This is where it ends, June 30th. And Woo! so I'm an official attendant. I'll be staying with Cleveland Clinic here. Uh, but I am Dr. Carl Allenby, and I am a proud black man in a white coat. Yeah.